and are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yep, Morena to you uh, around the country and uh, courtesy of Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. For the next uh, three hours, we uh, hope to keep you entertained. Certainly will with uh, our first guest, Cameron Leslie, New Zealand Paralympic swimmer and uh, wheelchair rugby player. Uh, of course, he's been nominated for the Laureus Sports Awards. Uh, these are like the Halbergs of the world. Uh, so what an honour for Cameron Leslie. Uh, we shall be talking to him very shortly. Gosh, uh, I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, we'll have uh, a score updates uh, from uh, cricket uh, because uh, South Africa and uh, Bangladesh, I can give you a wrap on that. I can tell you right here and now, uh, South Africa have beaten Bangladesh. They didn't lose a wicket in chasing down 114. So we'll review that. Um, there's uh, also Liverpool playing Real Madrid, Frankfurt playing uh, Napoli. Um, a, new a new segment of the show we're going to try after uh, 9.30. It's called In Case You Missed It. Uh, so uh, we will be uh, looking back on uh, some of the things that have been said uh, about uh, during the week in sport. Uh, also, we'll uh, expect your texts on uh, 8833. That'll be great. Um, any subject you like. I see uh, Ian Foster's lit up the board again. Doesn't take much, does it? Um, we've got an interview with uh, Brent Koa. Brent uh, is the Chiefs at Manawa assistant coach. So uh, we'll be uh, hearing from him just after 10 o'clock. The panel with Andrew Gordy and Mark Watson this morning. Uh, Kempi's going to come back in and uh, help us out because the Warriors season uh, was launched last night officially. Um, so we've uh, got a number of comments and uh, perhaps some interviews to come out of that as well. So pretty busy between now and midday when we hand over to Staffy. <laughs> Well, when it comes to New Zealand athletes, there are plenty to inspire and admire, and sometimes their achievements even catch the attention of the top brass. Now, Cameron Leslie has done just that. Yesterday, he was named as one of the finalists for the prestigious Laureus Sports Awards. These are the World Awards, and the Sportsperson of the Year with a Disability category. Uh, whether it's in the pool, blazing a trail in the World Para Swimming Champs, or leading in the wheelchair as co-captain of the New Zealand Wheel Blacks, Cameron is one of the most incredible individuals we have in this country at the moment, I can assure you of that, and uh, we're lucky enough to be able to talk to him this morning. Uh, Cameron, good morning to you. Morning, how are you? I'm really good, um, but I'm really thrilled for you. Um, your reaction, your honest reaction when you heard that you are going to be a finalist, or you are a finalist, uh, in the Laureus World Sports Awards. I mean, that's, this is the cream of the crop. Uh, well done. Well, what was your reaction? Uh, you know, I was surprised to start off with. I thought someone was pulling my leg, um, having a giggle. But um, yeah, yesterday when it all sort of was officially announced across everything, I was like, oh wow, it is for real. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I guess a bit of disbelief. Um, not often you catch me lost for words. So yeah, it's definitely a bit of a surprise. I mean, this is, as I say, this is the cream of the crop. Uh, it doesn't get um, much more prestigious than this. Uh, when you look at uh, some of the people that have won it over the years, New Zealand has uh, had uh, Dan Carter win it, uh, Levi Sherwood, of course, a wonderful um, uh, sp uh, speed bike guy, uh, speedway guy. He, he's out, absolutely outstanding. Um, and, and also we've got uh, Peter, uh, Dan Carter, Sir Peter Blake. Yeah, so you're right up there, man, right up there. 
Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I don't picture myself as that at all. Eh? I just I do sport because I love it. Uh, I happen to be all right at it. Um, but it's, I guess I know, I'm a big fan of um, trying to blaze a bit of a trail for that next generation coming through because it wasn't like it, it just wasn't there for me. And being a para athlete in New Zealand, like the I guess the role modelling wasn't there. Jesus, 16, 17 years ago when I first started out in sports. So it's pretty cool to be able to uh, I guess showcase para sport, but also show the young fellas that yeah can be done uh, you don't need all the bloody bells and whistles you know a bit of hard work and don't mind getting your hands dirty or t-shirt bloody messy then um you can you can go on and achieve some pretty cool stuff so it, it's such a diverse uh, range of skills to be able to be in the pool and then all of a sudden you're in the wheelchair playing wheelchair rugby uh, t- tell us a, a, about the rugby side of it as well yeah it's uh it's a bit of a contrasting sports really you got the uh, the very sort of, uh, you know, the swimming pool, you know how long it is, it's going to be 50 metres, it's going to be this width as your lane and all that jazz, it's all very fixed um, racing situation. Um, the only differing factor is yourself and, the, is, and how you're feeling on the day or how you're catching the water or whatever, your own things. Um, but, yeah, team sport like wheelchair rugby, you're thrust amongst a team, four players on the court per side, uh, and it's like with any team sport or any like sport like that, everything's a, a moving dynamic and you ain't ever going to have it your way. Uh, I often joke to people, I'm like, oh yeah, you've met swimming camp, but you wait till you meet rugby camp, it's a different beast, because uh, you sort of got to go into that sort of battle mode a bit more, and um, yeah, I guess it's a little bit more confronting and combative than what swimming is. I, I watch it. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. It's it's such a physical sport. Yeah, it is very physical. And, yeah, the body certainly tells you at the end of a tournament. Um, I guess it's my, uh, with my, swim, my swimming, like, more body shape, I guess. Uh, I'm a little bit lighter when I'm in a chair. A good power-to-weight ratio, but uh, when it comes to taking impact and taking big hits, uh, yeah, sometimes I come off second best, so the ribs bloody certainly tell me that after landing on the floor a few times. Okay, let's uh, let's get back to the, the swimming side of things, uh, which is principally uh, the reason for uh, your nomination here. And um, you took time out. Tell us a, a bit about uh, getting away from it for a while. Yeah, um, my, so just before Tokyo, my uh, daughter was born. So she's 18 months now. Um, and she was born uh, about nine, ten days before going up with the Tokyo Paralympics kicking off and when we were meant to fly out. Um and I made a late call there to sort of pull the pin and not not go over. Um, just like at that time, MIQ slots and everything that was just in the timing that you had to be out of a Paralympic village, you just couldn't get any certainty that if you know mums or bubs needed your home, you just couldn't do it. It's not like what travel was, what we knew it as. It's that freedom to to shoot home on what's relatively simple flight from you know, New Zealand to Japan. Um, so it was a bloody hard call to to pull out last minute like that and. I guess, you know, COVID being was, we'd already had a, la- a long layoff between international comps before Tokyo and then even longer by the time it all sort of resumed uh, last year. So, yeah, that ended up being two years. Um, had a bit of time off with not training and just letting the body recoup the shoulders, definitely take a bit of a bit of a beating and, um, yeah, just nice to give them a bit of rehab and a bit of time to settle down any sort of lingering issues that I had at the time. Um, yeah, it was weird returning though. Uh, going back after two years, the, the bloody butterflies were there. I felt like a, a bit of a rookie. Well, th- that's interesting um, because uh, y- you wouldn't think that would be the case um, because you'd achieved so much before you took the break. 
Yeah, I guess it's just that excitement too. Yeah, going through the process again. If you haven't done a process for two years and been used to being in a call room where you've got you know, athletes staring you down and everything that comes with international competition, it's um, yeah, you just got to get back into that mindset because yeah, it's not all uh, family life when you get to international competition, right? It's, uh, and not everyone's there to care for you or anything like that. They're there to beat you. You are uh, Cameron Leslie, the first para sw- swimmer to uh, swim. Uh, under 37 seconds uh, for the 50 metres freestyle. Uh, tell us about that when uh, you looked up and saw your time. Oh, stoked, eh? It's, uh, I love that race. It's good fun. It's bloody hard. You're puffing at the end of it. Um, but, yeah, it's just really cool to be able to raise the bar like that for um, for, you know, for para swimmers in, the, in my category in particular to really sort of push the boat out and yeah, say, hey, we should, be, we, should, we, could, we should and could be aiming higher in this space and just... Yeah, it's nice to lead that way. Eh? It's um, it's cool modelling for young swimmers and stuff like that to to show that you can still improve later in your years. And as a swimmer, I'm, I'm well and truly experienced, so it's kind of cool to still be improving and getting faster uh, at my age and stage. Uh, tell us about the Madeira experience. Uh, gold medal, three silvers. Uh, amazing comeback. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bloody good comeback. Eh? And the first race up was a hundred freestyle. It was a gold medal. It was. Um, executed the race plan going down but coming home on the second fifth was a bit of a bloody piano fell on me at the turn and at the five metre out to the finish so it was uh, yeah it was a hell of a way to, to welcome back into it but the rest of the week was um, much smoother in terms of I guess preparation just knowing knowing getting back into that, that mode of things um, but it was really just it was cool it was really enjoyable Got, you know, new coach and everything like that to give a little bit of extra excitement there he's young fella he's dead keen so it's Awesome to have that excitement around you and, and just oh, hope to be still going really good at the end of the week. Um, it was a seven-day comp, so a long competition to to be still doing season best times. And like season best, I mean over probably two or three season best, it probably would have been actually on the last day of competition was pretty satisfying. And um, yeah, just I guess nice to reconnect in that space again. Eh? Like as much as everyone's out to try and beat each other, there's still some friendly characters out there. So, I mean, now that you've got fatherhood on the plate as well, uh, what is a, a a day or a week in the, the life of, uh, of of Cameron Leslie look like? <laughs> Long days. <laughs> they're, um, yeah, I'm generally training before the kids are awake in the morning, so by the time I get home, they're just getting ready for breakfast, and then I can pick up the, the breakfast and the getting changed to head off to daycare um, avenue, and then I'll, I'll work during the day, pick them up from daycare, and... Um, yeah, the rest of the day I might sneak off to the gym in the like late afternoon, early evening, um, and then yeah, that's sort of how the week the week looks like. But I don't generally have big breaks anymore. Just fatherhood means that priorities are slightly different, and I can't just you know, bend over backwards and give sport everything in my life. So it's about making sure that I don't have big long breaks, and the, the, I guess the training consistency is there rather than the the sporadic uh, way of training and going away to a training camp and having an injury and being laid off for a bit. Like I'm really trying to manage the the body and the the overall side of side of life um, a bit more. Like I guess a bit more thoughtful than what I have done in my younger years. So um, in terms of competition, what does uh, the immediate future look like uh, going forward? What are, what are your goals? Uh, we've got national champs uh, in April. We've got uh, a World Series competition in May, and then we're into World Champs in July, August uh, for swimming. 
And then for rugby, we've got um, June, I think it is, off the head, um, zonal championships over in Japan. And then later in the year, uh, competition alongside the Rugby World Cup in France. Is the biggie. Okay, so are you watching um, uh, the development of uh, perhaps younger para swimmers? I mean, what are the numbers like in terms of um, the growth of the sport? Yeah, well, conveniently, it's actually my day job is um, is to work. With, I work with Swimming New Zealand, and uh, it pretty much is around trying to help grow that pathway. You know, find new para swimmers, but also work in that disability swimming space and try and get more people with disabilities participating in the sport. Um, so you're working with swim schools or parents, families, all the way up to like the performance development stuff. So um, I generally, in the pathway space, have got you know, tracking a whole bunch of swimmers and working with their coaches and trying to put camps on for them and get them overseas to start growing their, um, I guess, they're just their experience, really. Uh, and then I eventually hand them off to the high-performance team and then I become my teammate for that. <laughs> Um, but yeah there's good numbers coming through there's about 60 60 to 70 para swimmers across the country and that's up from bloody like 20 four or five years ago so it's massive improvement Um, and of that yeah there's quite a bit of potential coming through and like well like with all development athletes right times the time will tell Um, as long as you put opportunities in front of them and they it's up to them to take it or not but yeah geez there's some some pretty good experience around with the likes of me and Pasco still around competing so uh, it's pretty cool. We've got young Josh Wilmer won gold at Com Games last year. Like he's pretty good shining light for the future. And we've got two girls down in Christchurch, Gabby and Lily Fox, who are swimming pretty well, who hopefully will take over some of Pasco's New Zealand records and hopefully a world record in time. But they're just young fellas. Eh? Given they're doing some, all the signs are looking good now. It's just making sure they can progress on and um, yeah, want to be in it for the long haul. So, uh, Cameron, let's look at uh, the category that uh, you've been uh, nominated in and uh, those uh, that you're up against. Uh, Catherine De Brunner, uh, wheelchair racer, US uh, para ice hockey star Declan Farmer, uh, Dutch wheelchair tennis ace uh, Dieter de Groot, uh, Norwegian para skier Jesper Saltvik Pedersen and uh, US para skier Oksana Masters. Legends in their own field. Do you know much about them? I was looking at some of their achievements and I go, oh, far out, they've, they've done some pretty good stuff. I think it was the athletics one that um, she's done, I've got like world records in about four different races in the year and then won a bloody marathon as well. I go, oh, far out, I ain't got much on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, hey, you never know. I'm just stoked to be amongst the, those names and um, be able to, you know, I guess it's just such a surprise for me um, and, and my family as well, right? Like, geez, it's bizarre for the kids to see Dad on TV uh, on their way getting ready for daycare and stuff like that. But um, when I look at what those other athletes have done, I, I don't stack myself up too highly against them. But, yeah, that's also me not being someone to, to blow my own trumpet hugely on that stuff. Well, I mean, uh, you should uh, because, uh, as I say, this is the best of the very, very best in the world. Um, what does the format look like? Do you know much about, uh, do they have a, an awards night as such? Or uh, um, do you uh, do you know what to, to expect going forward? Um, previously they had, they used to have them in person. I've, I've, asked, I've asked Dame Sophie around that. I was like, hey, you've been to these before. What's, what's the go? Um, so I'll see what she says to me. But uh, I know they haven't set a date as yet for the awards that's going to come on out. Um, but yeah, I know they've had a few years of doing it virtually rather than an in-person thing, and that's yeah, you know, all COVID-related, right? We can't, we haven't been able to travel uh, like previously. So yeah, I'll find out in due course. 
Okay, so say you do go. Say you say they do have an awards night, and I certainly hope from for your perspective they do. Lionel Messi's going to be there. Steph Curry, Katie Ledecky, fella by the name of Tiger Woods. Out of all those athletes, uh, who would you like to spend a bit of time with? Oh, a big fan of Ledecky. She's an absolute like, beast. Um, be pretty impressive to have a yarn with her. But yeah, Tiger Woods, man, geez, I, I think back to my younger years, I his career when I was younger, and I just, I, like, as much as he's made some bad decisions in his life, he's come out the other side, which is pretty impressive and you know, testament to character of someone who can, you know, deal with all of that bad stuff that happened and, and come out the other side. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm all for learning off learning off people. I like to be a bit of a sponge and yeah, learn from other people's experiences. So it'd be, be fascinating to have a conversation with those two, I reckon. Well, I hope they do have a night and I hope you get to celebrate alongside them because it's um, one of the most amazing achievements a sporting person could ever hope for. Congratulations. Uh, been great talking to you, catching up with you, finding out a wee bit more about... Um, your motivation and your desire and your performance. So all the very best. I hope, I hope it goes well for you. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cameron Leslie there, folks. Uh, brilliant achievement there. It's 9.20 here on SENZ. SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. All right, my apologies to, uh, to um, of course, um, uh, Levi, because Levi, uh, of course, I, I said was a uh, <coughs> speedway, uh, I'm wrong, he's freestyle motocross. His nickname, the Rubber Kid. And, uh, of course, he went to Palmerston North Boys High School as well. So uh, apologies there to, uh, to Levi. Um, apologies to, to um, New Zealand women's cricket team because uh, it looks like they're out of the T20 World Cup. Um, South Africa had to beat Bangladesh uh, Bangladesh were restricted to 113 for 6 and uh, South Africa stumbled along uh, a little bit for a while but in the end uh, they won by 10 wickets uh, Laura Wolfart and Tasman Brits uh, both scoring half centuries 117 for none and 17.5 overs uh, which means South Africa win and by my reckoning Logan uh, knocks uh, the, uh, the White Ferns out of the T20 World Cup yeah, it sure does, and boy, that was a frustrating match to watch this morning. It looked for a little while Bangladesh might do the business. They were choking the run rate for a while, but then some pretty slack bowling there towards the end did not help. Yeah, the uh, net run rate is not uh, the friend of the White Ferns because theirs is plus 0.138, South Africa's is 0.738, so they get through, and that means the semi-finals are going to be Australia v India, Friday 2 p.m. 2 a.m. Sorry, our time, and the other one is England v South Africa, Saturday 2 a.m. our time. So uh, probably seems very similar to the um, World Cup last year, isn't it? It is really, uh, except uh, the World Cup last year we were at home um, and we couldn't make our own final. Um, South Africa have managed to make their theirs, and, and I think that's a big difference there. So. I would imagine uh, they'll be scratching their heads a wee bit and doing some serious reviewing uh, at New Zealand Cricket uh, after all the funding, etc., that has uh, been thrown at this team. Uh, in the last two World Cups, they've played below par, and I would be thinking they'll take a, a good, long look at it, or they should be anyway. Um, also, uh, Logan, some football on this morning. Yep, Champions League is 
back and uh, we've got Liverpool v Real Madrid. Liverpool are up 2-1 already in the 25th minute. Nunes and Salah scoring the two goals there. So uh, we'll keep track of that throughout the show. And the other one that is going on is Frankfurt v Napoli. That's in the 28th minute. They are nil all at the moment. Okay, so uh, just as we head into the news, um, a couple of people have uh, inquired with me, uh, what is uh, Cameron Leslie's disability? Well, he was born and raised in uh, Whangarei. He's now, um, I think, uh, coming up 32 years of age. He is a quadruple amputee with legs to the knee on both sides, right? Okay. His arm is missing four fingers on the right, and he has half a forearm on his left side. Work that out. And then all of a sudden become a world champion in the pool and in wheelchair rugby. It just it's to me that is mind-boggling absolutely mind-boggling what he has been able to achieve when you put those all those disabilities together uh, I, I can see you trying to trying to work through it you guys up there in the studio in Auckland it's it's phenomenal when you think of it in that in the, those terms I'm trying to fathom the operation of a wheelchair and how he's able to be so competitive in a sport like wheelchair rugby with his disabilities. I mean, that is that's incredible, Smithy. And uh, one of the things he kept saying uh, was uh, how hard it is on his shoulders. Of course, you know everything he does is basically uh, upper body strength and shoulders and and uh, torso. And and he's saying that you know, great to give the shoulders a rest. But honestly, um, mind absolutely mind mind boggling when you you think of it in, in those terms and what he has been able to achieve. It just the more you read about this uh, fellow and, and uh, the more you actually have such great respect for him and uh, all those other uh, para-athletes as well in their various fields. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful achievers. Coming up to 9.30 here on SENZ, uh, we'll take a short break and have a catch-up with uh, Aroha out of the news desk. Well, a little segment of the show now we call In Case You Missed It. In other words, uh, these have been people who have been on other shows um, apart from ours and uh, little clips uh, that uh, you probably will be interested in. First of all, uh, we're going to hear from Ryan Fox, who was on The Run Home. I know that we're not here to, to delve into controversy, but do you see signs of, of the division that you brought up um, a couple of minutes ago coming to an end this year, or do you think that the, this is just going to be here to stay as, a, as another part of golf's sort of travelling sideshow? I think it's here for the medium term. At the moment, obviously, you know, there's a fair bit of legal action going on around the world at the, uh, around the world at off at the moment so from that sense you know i don't yeah it, it's pretty hard to be civil with someone that's basically suing you so mm. until that stuff kind of goes away i don't i don't see the two you know all the parties sitting down and working something out um and obviously the the, the time frame on that probably mid 24 at the absolute earliest with what's going on so yeah it's in the short term, there's been some great things happen in game because of it. Obviously, competition has been 
been great for the game of golf um, and it's generally great in most capacities but obviously the division in the game with all the legal stuff and you know the the throwing the throwing crap at each other in the media um, you know that's been pretty frustrating and I know not me personally but there's been friendships lost and everything like that through this whole scenario so now hopefully that's all that all gets sorted out in the next two to three years but I don't see I, I see at least for this year there's still being a fair bit of stuff going on. So Smithy, that question comes off the back that the confirmation that Danny Lee is going to live golf where as of course Ryan Fox has been very much on the other side of that coin and wanting to focus on what he could potentially achieve this year, going to the Masters, hoping to win a major and everything going on there. He doesn't want to give up his spot either on the DP World Tour. So uh, Danny Lee is going to the Iron Heads, that's what they call them, Iron Heads, uh, captained by Kevin Nah, Scott Vincent's there as well, and Siwan Kim. The interesting thing here, Smithy, for me, is the rumour, I still haven't seen confirmation on this yet, if this is a three-tournament deal, and allegedly he is to be starting this week in Mexico. Then there's Tucson, then there's Orlando, and it's all wrapped up by April 3rd. The next one is Adelaide on April 22nd. Where does he go after that? Because the PGA aren't going to want him. No, the PGA aren't going to want him. In fact, uh, Danny Lee's had a pretty checkered uh, record on the PGA in terms of uh, withdrawing from tournaments. Uh, he's also had behavioural issues, um, and uh, he got reprimanded at one point there for a ridiculous like seven or eight or nine putt on one green. That's right. Uh, he, he, <coughs> he, he has had a, a pretty average record there, and I think they've been quite patient with him on the PGA Tour. Um, but they won't want him back in a hurry. Uh, I mean, they're probably thinking... And the other thing is that it won't make... Uh, Danny Lee going is, is real, relatively big news here, but it won't even be a pimple on, you know, on the proverbial when it comes to world golf. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people won't even notice. No. Uh, one thing I found interesting, watch... I, <laughs> I've been so busy, Smithy, I haven't actually finished full swing yet, and I'm really dying to finish it. But there's one episode that focuses on uh, Matt Fitzpatrick and whether or not he is going to go to live golf. And he reveals that he did get an offer, but he, what was his words that he used? He called it, he basically just called it um, a token gesture, so to speak. I would love to know, (laughs) with the amount of money that's been thrown around, what does Matt Fitzpatrick consider a token gesture of a contract offer? Well, that would be an interesting point, actually, um, uh, because... They're continually in the market because they, they have to be. Um, and, you know, they have to keep renewing and, and to say, well, you know, the initial draft that they got, uh, it, has to, it has to be keeping uh, renewing it. They have to keep renewing it and, and keeping it updated and, and refreshing it the whole time. Um, and he's certainly, um, he's certainly part of that group, you would imagine. Uh, he, he's, um, of course, uh, the current US Open champion. So what does that make as market value? Uh, I would say I would say considerable, considerable. But you know, um, it would be uh, it would be a token offer compared to some that have gone already. The, you know, the the DJs, the Dustin Johnsons, uh, you know, the Brooks Kepters, uh, those guys that went initially, the Phil Mickelsons, which probably pales um, into insignificance compared to what they've been offered. But as the current U.S. Open champion, uh, you would think his market value would be quite high, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would think so as well. And I mean, I'm st- no doubt they threw an astronomical amount of money at Cameron Smith. And to be fair, 
Cameron Smith is the only reason why I'm probably really paying any attention to Live Golf because I love the way he plays. I love his persona. I love his personality. And I hate to see something like that go away from the PGA Tour. So potentially, I think if there's going to be a longevity here, it's going to be potentially like the NBA where um, maybe younger golf uh, fans follow more the player than the tour that they're on. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I totally, I totally understand where you're getting from there. Um, and I think that was one of the great shames, actually, particularly for World, world Golf Down Under, that Cameron Smith went um, at the time that he did. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's done and dusted now. Uh, very quiet out of Greg Norman at the moment. There's no doubt about that. All uh, right, let's uh, move on to uh, Joey Wheeler. Joey Wheeler, former Highlanders player, of course, on Super South. A lot of talents left the the, uh, the franchise. Um, you know, looking at it, uh, the ins and the outs from last season, uh, but they've made some interesting additions. And I think one of the areas that you pointed out, uh, particularly that they look very, very strong in, uh, is lock. And when you consider that they, uh, you know, have lost Manaki Selby Rickett to the Chiefs, um, that's still a pretty decent looking locking uh, stocks, isn't it? Fabian Holland, a lot of talk around him. Putty Putty Parkinson, if he can stay fit, he could be huge. Max Hicks, and then of course Josh Dixon uh, as well. He's uh, he's been a solid performer for a lot of years. Yeah, mate. Oh, I think that second row has been one of the real growth areas um, in terms of the Highlanders over the last couple of years. Oh, I thought Manaki Selby Ricketts' deflection from the Highlanders, I think there was probably uh, – I think the Highlanders wanted to keep him, but I think, you know, um, I don't know if he made every post a winner in his time in the in the Highlanders' jersey. I think he'll be disappointed with what he produced. He had ample opportunity, and I think at that next level, he just hasn't stamped his mark yet. And I don't know whether he's going to get um, that many opportunities at the Chiefs because they are absolutely stacked in the second row. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting one, him leaving. But, yeah, I, I'm, I've been really impressed. If Putty Putty Parkinson can stay fit, um, that guy is... One, he's a monster. He is, I think he's two metres oh six, so, um, and got a ridiculously massive wingspan. And through his injuries, he's put on um, a significant amount of muscle. So I think he's weighing in at something like 132 kilos uh, this season. So uh, him alongside Josh Dixon, and Josh Dixon has obviously gone from strength to strength over the last two years. Obviously, his time uh, last season, he was involved heavily in the All Blacks camp and looks to be. Um, the next cab off the rank in terms of with the exodus of um, two obviously world-class lockers in uh, Retallick and Whitelock. These two, I believe this year, if they can stay fit alongside Fabian Holland, I'll touch on him in a minute, but I I think those two are the heir apparent. Um, I really like how they complement each other. Josh has grown in terms of his leadership of the line-out especially. Um, he's really owning that over the last two years. And obviously Putty Putty, in terms of his physicality, he is, I believe, behind, just behind Brody Retallick and bringing that real physical aspect to the game. If he can work on his actions in terms of his, um, when he does something, when he's, in, when he's in the end, Ricardo, like when he's carrying or he's tackling, he's awesome. It's that... Split second after he's done the action, getting up and then reloading to do another action. Repeated actions is what I want to see from Putty Putty this season to really put him in that um, all-black frame. But the other young um, whippersnapper coming through is obviously Fabian Holland, the big Dutchman. Um, And those three, you've got three guys that are um, all weighing over 120 kilo. And a Highlanders pack 
with uh, locks that size, I, I don't think it's we've ever had that in our history. So that type five's in really good stead with with three guys who um, and one young fellow who's got massive potential. And I think they're going to make a real fist of it this year and going to upset a lot of teams through the middle of the park. Yeah, interesting. And of course, the Highlanders uh, kick off their campaign on uh, Saturday at 7.05 uh, hosting the Blues incidentally of course uh, Crusaders against the Chiefs uh, that kicks it all off on Friday at 7.05 uh, with the Crusaders at home hosting there so that uh, is uh, an interesting point of view from Joey Wheeler um, but what about uh, Chiefs Mana Chiefs Mana and Paul Feeney Your role this year uh, Paul with the Chiefs first year with the Chiefs and, and what's your area that you're specialising in? Yeah, so um, I'm looking after sort of getting out of, our, out, of, out of our own third, exiting out of sort of the back third, so through scrums, line-outs, kick-offs, counter-attack, um, turnover ball, and kick strategy. So Roger Hill and, uh, sorry, Roger Randall and David Hill are in charge of attack and defence, and the Chiefs just decided they wanted someone to really focus in on that area of the game you know especially with the kicking game the way it's going in modern day rugby there's a lot of space we've watched the All Blacks in November kicking a lot more um, turning defences around making them think about where the space is so I just wanted someone to focus on that so I've been fortunate enough to be to be given that role by um, Clayton McMillan and uh, excited and just uh, grateful to be given the opportunity really Gee, that's a new innovation. There's a lot of um, non-modern rugby people watching, listening to the show, watching the Chiefs play. But, man, you've seen some innovation. You've seen some change uh, in the time as a player and a coach in this game, uh, Paul. Oh, definitely. You know, um, I mean, I coached and I played in the 80s, obviously under Peter Thorburn, and we we, we pulled the uh, 14-man wall, as you know, and, and a few other bits of innovations by Thorburn back in the 80s. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, rugby, I think, um, needs a bit of innovation and we, we need to think outside the square. Uh, there's been a lot of kicking in the game. Uh, Defence has been dominating. There's a lot of space and we need to get the ball to the space. So, uh, yeah, as I say, excited and uh, really looking forward to the opportunity of working with some really good coaches and, and obviously a very talented team. Yeah, that's Paul Feeney, of course. Uh, he had uh, six or seven years with North Harbour, as he said, uh, playing under... Uh, Peter Thorburn, um, and then of course when he's turned his uh, attention to uh, coaching, he's been involved with the Blues, with Auckland, uh, with the Stormers as an assistant coach, 25 years experience there, director of rugby for Kenya, uh, during which time the Kenyan Sevens qualified for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, so uh, there you go, uh, that is uh, Paul Feeney and uh, he's one of the new recruits in terms of uh, exiting uh, strategies when it comes to uh, their campaign this year. It is at 9.44 here on SENZ. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, uh, today we have uh, Baylor, uh, this is uh, NCAA Basketball, Baylor to beat Kansas State at $1.71. Uh, we're going to uh, women's tennis in Dubai, 
where uh, Belinda Bensick uh, to beat Machova at $1.43 in the women's singles. Uh, and tomorrow morning early, uh, Manchester City to beat uh, RB Leipzig at $1.83. And that, of course, is in the Champions League. So Baylor into Bensick into Man City. Uh, that will be a return of $4.47. Um, Champions League updates as we speak right here and now. Napoli are now 1-0 ahead of uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. And it's 2-all between uh, Liverpool and Real Madrid. 2-all between Liverpool and Real Madrid as we speak. Uh, we'll come back uh, with a couple of texts, etc. Uh, before the news at 10. It's in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Anthony has come in and said, Hi Smithy, these Paralympic athletes are something special, doing normal life things and training. Hardened athletes. Uh, absolutely right, Anthony. The, this story of um, uh, Cameron Leslie and uh, finally the acknowledgement that he's uh, been nominated for a Laureus World Sports Award uh, is uh, quite inspirational. It really is. Uh, Leanne has uh, come in on the, the same uh, note, actually, from Palmerston North. A great interview. Cameron Leslie is inspirational to all athletes. So happy for him to have been recognised with this nomination, as we all are. Um, Smithy, you said New Zealand cricket need to take a good, hard look at the white ferns. Yes, I did. Um, but who is taking a good, hard look at New Zealand cricket? Men's and women's game in the dump. The spark sport fiasco. Player numbers down. General fan apathy coming off uh, World Test Champs and the Black Caps record. Uh, the game should be flying. Uh, fair or not, Jono? I, th I think it's uh, fair uh, assessment from your point of view um, they they must be uh, they must be David White and co the board must be sitting down thinking you know we've, we've never poured so much money uh, at the sport in terms of uh, players salaries and remunerations across the board for men and women uh, the women now are on an equal pay rate per game uh, than the men are uh, and yet you know the performance levels um, are gone and I fear for women's cricket because uh, I I, I I think we're sort of becoming a situation where uh, Susie Bates beats up on the minnows. There's no doubt about that. Um, uh, Sophie Devine has had a poor World Cup by her standards. Mealy Curis, I think, the one shining light in the great news about Mealy Curis, she's so young and so much still to offer. Um, but when uh, Bates and Devine go, what's next? Uh, because we, uh, we, we haven't seen it. Uh, honestly, we've seen it. Uh, Amy Satterthwaite is gone um, and gone... Uh, on the back of a, a hundred in their last appearance at, at home, uh, I mean, I, I just I can't quite um, I can't quite fathom where the future is uh, going to be in women's cricket and the men's game. Well, we'll see what happens at the Basin Reserve and if they can turn it round. Uh, I won't say all has been forgiven, but uh, certainly um, they'll take a step back in the right direction. But uh, we'll review that uh, next week. But certainly. Uh, they have to take a good long look at uh, what is going on on the playing side of things. Um, interesting too, um, apparently Ian Foster was uh, on another radio station this morning and uh, it's uh, fueled more debate. Every time uh, Fozzie's name gets mentioned, we start uh, talking about the all-black coaching uh, scenario. Um, New Zealand rugby is fast becoming a joke, uh, says uh, Pete. And they will be the laughing stock around the world. Our lack of professionalism lately is an extremely bad look, especially considering we're, we're the benchmark previously. As mentioned by Kempi earlier today, um, we were more professional when the game was amateur. 
That's a good call, actually. You know, we were more professional about how we did things. Um, less complicated, I think. Uh, a lot less complicated in the way we go about things. Uh, no players, associations, no um, to deal with in that regard. Just to get picked, get on with it and enjoy uh, and then go back to work after that. Uh, it's just like, um, uh, it's just like uh, every time this coaching thing is, when are they going to put it to bed? When are they absolutely going to put it to bed? Mark Robinson, CEO, Dame Patsy Reddy, um, supposedly a very highly respected administrator. Uh, when are they, surely, they see this stuff, they hear this stuff. When are they going to put it to bed? Got me baffled, absolutely baffled. Uh, anyway, we're going to stay on the rugby subject uh, after the break. We're going to talk to uh, Brent Kaua. Uh, he's the Chiefs Manawa assistant coach. And uh, that will be coming up after 10 o'clock. We'll have a panel with uh, Andrew Gordy and Mark Watson um, and uh, catch up with Louis. That's all in the next hour here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, rugby on a positive note now, and of course the rugby season is so close. Super rugby uh, is just down the, around the corner. You can always uh, reach out and touch it, can't you? Uh, so uh, it's going to give us plenty to talk about here on SENZ. Uh, both the men's and women's competitions get underway this weekend, and today our attention turns to Super Rugby Orpiki. Uh, last year was the inaugural season, of course, one that was delayed and hampered by covid and while season two isn't as long as the players and the coaches might want it to be, certainly is a step in the right directions. So Chiefs Manawa, of course, are the defending champions. Uh, this year sees the husband and wife coaching duo of Crystal and Brent Coa uh, looking to build on what Alan Bunting started last year. Uh, yesterday, uh, Logan Swinkles, our producer, of course, uh, uh, spent uh, a bit of time in his afternoon to catch up with uh, Brent Coa, the Manawa assistant coach, and uh, he's uh, some interesting thoughts uh, as he looks forward to a new challenge. SCNZ. This is Logan Swinkles from Mornings with Ian Smith on SNZ. And joining me now from Chiefs Manoa is assistant coach Brent Coa. It's a great time of year with the return of Super Rugby Opiki. So what are the excitement levels like uh, amongst the camp to get out there on Saturday and take on the Hurricanes power? Uh, yeah, everyone's buzzing, eh? They're ready to go. Um, I think the pre-season, we managed to get a couple of games under our belt, and um, I think everyone's just biting at the bit, mate, ready to go. What have you learned from those games, from the pre-season? Uh, just, I think it's just time in the saddle, eh? I think more, the more tank game time you get, you get to sort of fine-tune your systems, and I think you, you can't, you can't beat that. You can practice all you like, but it's actually um, under under tension where you actually see where you need where you need to fix things. So now, from that point of view, it's been good good learnings and um, ready to go. Yeah, always good to put a uh, the squad under a bit of stress there. But you know, with players juggling jobs, motherhood, you know, and a rugby career in some cases in multiple codes. How have the how have those season preparations progressed? Like, is it tough getting everyone together sometimes? Um, it's I'll say it's working in the right direction. So everything's everything's getting better, and I think um, I don't know based off what happened last year and the momentum of women's rugby. Like, 
we can't expect things to be go from zero to 100 straight away. I think it's still putting systems in place, making sure we progress it at a good speed as well. And I think, um, could it be better? Yeah, I think it could be. But is it is it um, allowing us to do what we need to do right now? Of course it is. Yeah, there is that big question mark around women's rugby right now that seems to be, you know, how do we build upon the love for the women's game that we saw uh, from the Rugby World Cup last year? Where do you see Opeki succeeding in that regard? I think uh, although they've increased the um, amount of games, it's only a small increase. You know, I think I understand the the intention is to go into the trans-Tasman space I would love to have seen a home and away series, at least to get, I think, five games over the course of the competition. You're kind of just hitting your straps, um, you know, and getting your systems right. So for me, I think the growth of the game after this season, I'd like to see it grow much quicker. And um, I think just from a, you know, from a professional space, if you want to, you're bringing these people into, into this environment, it wants to be for a decent whack of time, obviously, you know, for a competition. So, um, yep, it's better than last year. And I think we've just got to make sure we, we do everything from our side of it as coaches, as management and as players to make sure that we, um, I think, deliver a great product. As a coach, how do you prepare for such a short season like that when there's, you know, not a lot of time to, you know, refine and fine tune things? Yeah, um, there isn't a lot of time together as a team, so a lot of the work gets done behind the scenes, you know, a lot of one-on-one meetings. Um, there's a big reliance on right now for the girls to do a lot of own-time training, and obviously they come from different parts of the Mutu, different parts of the, the country, so it's there's a there's a big reliance on the on the players themselves, so... I think from a the professionalism piece, once we're able to get those get eyes on all those players more often, and for a bigger building, I think it's um, it'll be great. But right now, it's definitely not enough time. But at the same time, like there's a lot of girls in there that are in the national environment, so they know what's what to expect. And there's um, women in there that were part of the Opaki competition last year. So they know what to expect as well. So I think as coaches, as long as we set the expectations and we deliver on that as well, um, you know, I think that's, we've got to lead by example. It's one thing saying players do this, players do that, but we've got to walk the walk and talk the talk as well. Your wife, Crystal, stepping into the head coaching role after the uh, success of Alan Bunting in the first season since coming in into that spot, how do you think she's taken to the new role? Uh, just like any other role, you know, it's um, she thrives in any environment she's a part of. Um, she's got her own take on the game. She's not a she won't follow. She's more about evolving the game. So she makes, I think, one of her strengths, her absolute strengths, is her ability to bring people together. So she'll always find people that are that challenge that'll challenge her because that's going to, she doesn't want yes people. She wants people that are going to create debate and it's going to make people better. So no, I think it's just another, another team and like any, like any team she coaches, she, she wants to win. (laughs) Like that's a given. And um, she has that expectation on all coaches, on all management. Um, 
be world-class leading in your own space. Awesome. That's the main thing that she brings here. That's awesome. Uh, with, with that, you know, you've got this husband and wife coaching dynamic between the two of you. What do you think makes it so successful? Uh, our strengths are different. And I think we've coached together for about 12 years now. And, um, we just balance each other out. We won't think we look at the game slightly different. So when we, when we're looking at, um, teams or players for selection, like we hold each other accountable. And I think, um, we love that space. I think it's, uh, I'm pretty lucky in, in that, in that respect, like we both have an absolute hunger for the game, but it's a healthy, it's a healthy space where we just love to grow and, if you live in the Koa household, mate, it's um, our kids are coaches and they don't know it. Yeah, they'll they sort of talk the same lingo as us, which is quite which is quite cool. Well, uh, watch out in a few years' time. I'm sure <laughs> you stepped into the head coaching role at the Bay Plenty uh, Volcanics uh, last yeah. year. What did you learn about yourself uh, as a coach that you're now bringing in with you to the Chiefs Manoa? Um, I think it's just being able to adapt. Like we came back from Japan the, um, about 13 months ago after spending four years coaching over there. And the game is different. The people are different. And I think it's just, I probably learned more, more about listening, like what changes need to be made. What are the people saying? Um, listen more than you before you start to put things in place. So I think that's probably been a big learning for me. Um, and just working with new coaching staff, like getting different people involved, making sure that everyone knows their role there. And it's a, it's a growth environment. You know, I think that's, that's always something I like to challenge myself on. Speaking of, you know, working in with new coaches, can you just explain to our listeners who else uh, is involved in the coaching setup there at Chiefs Manoa and how the roles differ? Yeah. So we've got Daryl Suasua and Greg Smith. So Greg Smith's our set piece coach. Daryl Suas, who is our attack coach, um, they're both highly experienced coaches in their in their own right. Like Daryl's been to a couple of World Cups um, with the women. He's, I think, he's one of the trailblazers to be honest in the women's space. Um, same same as Greg, like they've got a vast experience in the game across the men and women's space. Uh, probably. The one thing with all those coaches, and I do, so I'm a counter-attack coach, um, and Crystal's the defense coach, so we, although we have our own space, like we're in charge of the big rocks, and we'll sit there and we'll debate everything around, um, I see it this way, and they'll always have a different opinion, or what do you think about this, and I think what's great about our coaching team is we're, we're open to, to feedback which is great where sometimes you have coaches, you know, they'll, they'll stick to their own space and it's like, don't touch. I think, um, with us, we, before we, um, I think our first few meetings together, we spent sort of six to eight hours, like just getting to know each other, picking our brains around rugby. Um, I think that's, we've all got a similar mindset. You know, we're really competitive. Um, we really care about our people um, culture's massive and we love to mix that in with performance. Like I think there's a good balance and we, um, we all get on really well. That's a bonus. 
And I already know what the expectations are coming in uh, as defending champion. So I don't, I don't even need to ask you uh, about that. But looking at some of the players uh, in the squad this year, you've got Tanika Willison, who, you know, that's, that's a name that's going to be familiar to rugby fans that follow the Blackfern 7. So when she was announced, Crystal mentioned that she's a champion of the unseen mahi. What does Tanika do off the field to help strengthen the team? Oh, I think it's just... Uh it's great that she's come from the New Zealand Sevens environment. Um, she just has that professional mindset. So she knows uh, with Sevens, you're constantly in those pressure environments. You know, you're playing tournament. Each tournament is pressure. And so bringing that that calm nature, I think you can't underestimate how important that is to an environment. So um, Nix has got a big mouth. She's... Uh, <laughs> That's one of her strengths, but um, I think we've been involved with Neeks for a long time. So we started coaching Neeks when she was about 14 years old. So we had, had her at Hamilton Girls High School. And um, she's just a great human. But I think when it comes to selection, like we take all that into account. So it's not just Nika, not just Neeks, it's, um, it's every player. Like you, you've got to have the skill set, the work, skill set, work ethic, but you've just got to be a, a bloody good human as well. So then we can go to those places and actually um, push each other and there's not going to be any negative reaction to it. Uh, you've also you've brought in a couple of big names from rugby league circles as well with uh, Abigail Roach and uh, Api Nichols. How do you see them slotting into the Chiefs Manawa lineup and you know what impact can they bring? Uh, yeah, again, they're great players. They've got a rugby background as well. So Uppy um, used to be Cook Island Sevens, and uh, we coached her back then as well. And same as Abby, she was Auckland Sevens, and um, they just bring a professional mindset. And um, they're people that'll do the work behind the scenes. Um, they're detailed people. They Once they know the detail, they can play with freedom. So... They they definitely add to the environment. Absolutely. Is there is there anyone else in the squad that you're hoping to see a big season from that the fans should keep an eye out for? Uh, we've got a. Oh, to be honest, like we've got some exciting people right across the board. You know, we've got a couple of youngins like um, Oliver Watherston. We've got um, Georgia Dales. You know, um, we've got some big riggers up the front as well, and. Um, uh, in terms of Shah, so like um, I think for us it's not more the individual players, it's more around how well we play together. If we do those jobs well, then I think the people who score are just the, on the end of the line. Uh, and just lastly from me, Brent, considering you know your experience with coaching women's rugby, where would you hope to see Super Rugby Opiki go in the near future? Um, I mean, you sort of mentioned partnering up with the likes of Australia, but where else could it go? Uh, I think realistically, like Australia, you've got you've got Fiji who are doing absolutely amazing things on the World Series with sevens and and their fifteens team. So I, I think um, I think it's nailing the basics first. You know, like Tasman Rugby, there's a good there's a good um, competition there that we can link into, and I think from there we can grow from it. But right now, um. It is small, you know, we need to grow it, I think, to 
you know, get the excitement of the fans and also as players to play a more meaningful competition, it's going to be bigger. So I think um, the franchises like the Chiefs, Chiefs Manoa, like they're amazing. You know, the board, they're genuinely involved in everything, trying to evolve the game. So, um, yeah, hopefully next year we get some Tasman rugby or at least a couple of rounds to make it a, a much more entertaining uh, competition. But, yeah, we definitely need at least a couple of Aussie teams or the whole the whole shebang going. Nice. I love it. Um, let's keep riding that wave of women's rugby, mate. And uh, I really appreciate your time this morning, Brent. Now, good as gold, mate. All the best, eh? Right, uh, that mu- music, a little jingle there, uh, suggests to me that there's some breaking news, Logan. Yes, this comes from New Zealand Cricket. ANZ New Zealand will partner with New Zealand Cricket to present a special fundraising cricket match to raise money for the New Zealand Red Cross Disaster Fund off the back of uh, Cyclone Gabrielle. The fundraising match will be the Black Caps v Sri Lanka in an ODI at Eden Park on Saturday, March 25th. ANZ will be pledging $1 million at the match and are encouraging the public to donate further on the day. NZC will donate all ticket proceeds and assist with other game day fundraising activities. David White, uh, the chief executive of NZC, said that cricket would do everything that it could to assist. Uh, Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely lovely gesture by uh, ANZ and New Zealand Cricket and... uh, that money will be gratefully received. So uh, look forward to that uh, date on the calendar, New Zealand against Sri Lanka at Eden Park. It is 10.19 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll be back with the panel very shortly. Big Opinions, the panel. Right, uh, Mark Watson and Andrew Gordy uh, with us this morning. Uh, good morning to you, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Gordy, we'll start with you on uh, the Black Caps, uh, shall we? Uh, if they lose the second test... Uh, do they need to hit the reset button on the way they try to play the game, or what happens? Morning, Smitty. Morning, Watto. Morning to all the listeners. Um, yeah, they they possibly do need to have a go, hitting the reset button. I'm not I'm not sure. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps it is is time to to hit the reset button because I think actually what we're seeing here at the moment um, from Brendan McCullum's England team. And I'll be interested to know your thoughts on this, to be honest, Smithy. Are, are we seeing like a, a quantum shift in test cricket here and the way that it's played? Because it feels to me like there is a concerted effort here to really just throw the test cricket um, game, I suppose, into overdrive. And the, perhaps the days of test match cricket dawdling through to a... a, a, a dire sort of end on, on day five is just sort of, I don't know, perhaps it's going to become a thing of the past with the way they're approaching the game. Um, that sort of slow and steady approach, uh, if you excuse the pun, um, might not be valid anymore. It might not it might not hold water, I suppose, for teams that uh, are hell-bent on taking that approach anymore. And yeah, perhaps it is time for a more attacking approach and, and perhaps the patience of test cricket could be a thing of the past. So, I don't know, perhaps that's going a wee bit too early, but what is what is abundantly clear, I think, for this Black Caps team is they are short on confidence and they are perhaps short on talent um, and certainly short on experience at the highest level of the toughest form of the game. 
Mark Watson, is it uh, due to player exodus? Uh, we talk here about Trent Bolt. We talk uh, about, uh, of course, Ross Taylor, Kyle Jamison's unavailability, the Grondholm not with us anymore. Um, is it about that for you, or is it an attitudinal thing too? Oh, look, I, yeah, I'll just pick up from what Andrew said. I, I think, look, I, I don't think we'd be good in terms of planning and having succession plans in place. You know, where is the future beyond Southie and Bolt and Kane Williamson and possibly even Tom Latham at the top of the order? You can imagine he's only, what, probably got another two or three seasons left. Um, you know, do we try and play the way England play? I don't know. Do we have the talent? Do we have the plumbing to do that? Do we have the players that have that natural instinct? Now, admittedly, you could look at guys like Joe Root and say, well, would you have considered him to be a player who can play sort of a T20-type style out in Test cricket? But he has had the ability to adapt. Look, I think Gary Stead at the top is probably just not the right guy if that is the path we're going to take. I think you've got to have a visionary. I think you've got to have a leader that people will follow and buy into. And I think that's what Brendan McCullum off England. But look, I think the bigger issue here is maybe our domestic first-class cricket, um, the way that's been run. Where is the talent coming through? Uh, that's the big question. How long do you allow a player to play at domestic first-class cricket before you maybe ask them to move on and bring the next young guy through? And then it comes down to, well, OK, young guys need to play with experienced players and they need to play against experienced players. But, you know, look, just changing tack slightly, one of the great frustrations I see with cricket, maybe a lack of depth, is what are we, do, what are we doing and what have we ever done to try and tap into the Pacifica and Māori populations in this country? Where are the cricket academies in South Auckland? Why aren't we what the West Indies are or have been? Where are the Malcolm Marshalls and the Joel Garners? You look at a guy like a Stephen Adams, you look at Valerie Adams, the Pacific Island community, in my opinion, are the best athletes in the world. They are, a, you know, they are big people. There are Stephen Adams walking around South Auckland at the moment that I'm pretty sure if you put a cricket ball in their hand and expose them to it, we could end up having, you know, West Indian equivalents. You know, I went through Manabit Grammar in the 1980s, a large Polynesian um, student body. I watched kids pick up a cricket ball, pick up a cricket bat with very little um, understanding of it and just the natural talent that I saw. And it still just amazes me today that the game in New Zealand is still predominantly European. Yeah, good point. Uh, really uh, fascinating point. Uh, my take on it is that um, I, I don't think we've got um, the players or the willpower to play test cricket this way at the moment. I, I simply don't. I think, uh, and a player like uh, Conway, I, I think he's, he's adaptable. I don't think Kane Williamson is. Kane Williamson spent um, his whole career um, trying not to get out and has fashioned a wonderful world-class test record because of that. He's done an extremely good job of preserving his wicket and batting for a long period of time. Um, that is not what uh, the new form of test cricket or the form of test cricket that uh, Brennan McCullum and Ben Stokes has introduced is all about. Um, and then you've got guys right at the moment who... Uh, uh, horribly out of form, playing for their place in the team, um, don't feel like taking risks and you can hardly blame them really. Um, so at the moment I, I don't see that uh, and all I see is an attitude of um, you know this can't continue, we'll carry on the same way we're playing um, and um, you know obviously you know they're going to fall in a heap at some stage. I mean hell they've only won 10 out of 11, I mean can't work can it? Uh, are we, we'll be back We'll be back in a, uh, in a short space of time, guys. Uh, we've got to have a news break with uh, Aroha, and uh, we'll be back. Um, gee, Ian Foster's in the news again. Shall we talk about him? Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 
Mark Watson and Andrew Gordy with us this morning on the panel. Plenty of experience there and uh, plenty of experience with uh, dealing with uh, Ian Foster issues too, Andrew Gordy. Uh, another one has uh, come to the surface uh, as, uh, well, as late as this morning, really, um, with an interview in which he has stated that uh, the timeline for the next coach is unnecessary. Urges New Zealand rugby to focus on the needs of the team. Uh, well, I would have thought the needs of the team are getting the right coach, but having said that, uh, do you agree with him? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, this, isn't it? Uh, I think it's a really interesting approach from Ian Foster, um, and I don't, I don't know if it was his idea or, or someone else suggested to him, but this, he's, he's done a very targeted approach here, hasn't he? He's done a, a written article with the Heralds, uh, with Gregor Paul yesterday, and he's gone on, obviously, News Talk ZB Radio this morning. Um, this is, yeah, this is clearly designed to uh, take a shot at New Zealand rugby, um, and, and I get it from his point of view. I, he has made some interesting comments, though, that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and that's because Ian Foster and New Zealand Rugby are, are approaching this from two very different points of view. Ian Foster, his pure focus is the All Blacks right now and leading up to the World Cup. New Zealand Rugby doesn't necessarily have that luxury. And look, I think most people would agree with the, the concept that Yes, Ian Foster, it is highly unlikely that he will be the All Blacks coach post the World Cup. And look, my personal opinion, which you know doesn't really count for anything in the, in the grand scheme of things, but I, I think this is professional sport. And I don't think there's anything wrong with New Zealand rugby uh, sticking with exactly what they've said, which is um, we back Ian Foster and this coaching team for this World Cup cycle. But I also think there's nothing wrong with saying at the end of that cycle, we are committed to going into a, in a different direction. That's their prerogative. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think it is terribly unsettling. I, I struggle to buy into the concept that it is hugely unsettling for this group of players to know that there's going to be a new coach after the next World Cup. What, why is that unsettling? I mean, this, they are also operating in a professional sporting environment. And so you, they probably know, like Ian Foster, that there is going to be another coach coming after the World Cup. So I, I don't know. I, I find it really hard to... Hard to agree with him, but I do have some sympathy for his position and his plight at the moment because he is, like I say, purely focused on this All Blacks team and, and having them in the best mindset possible for a Rugby World Cup. But look, if the players know that Ian Foster is going to be the coach up until the Rugby World Cup and then there'll be a change after that, then that gives them certainty and, and confidence moving forward into this cycle. Where do you sit with it, Mark? Yeah, fascinating one. Look, if Ian Foster is really, really concerned about the All Blacks winning the World Cup, he would have resigned six months ago because we're not going to win the World Cup with Ian Foster. I'm adamant about that. I just don't believe he's the right guy. Um, I haven't seen any evolution in his game plan. We're starting to see some of it, but that's more because of some of the people that we finally brought in. I think if he had it his way, I think we would have been staring at some pretty pretty average, uh, even worse results than what we've seen in recent times. Look, um, Ian Foster, I mean, he's human, isn't he? Um, he... You know, this must be incredibly tough for him. But I'm with Andrew on this one. I don't think that this is really particularly a big distraction. It's a big distraction. Ian Foster wants to make, wants to create the perception it's a big distraction because I think it then gives him another out if, in fact, the All Blacks don't win this World Cup and he can sort of start pointing the finger at the administration and not getting the support. But I think actually that's what really is highlighted in this, just how much um, animosity or just how much the relationship has actually broken down between New Zealand Mark Robertson and Ian Foster, the All Black coach. And I'm not sure that 
I've seen that uh, for a long time in New Zealand where there's such discord between you know, our head coach and the governing body, uh, which says to me they don't genuinely actually support him either. Um, but what's actually got to happen from New Zealand rugby, we've actually got to you know, have some leadership, come out, be decisive, tell us when this process is going to happen, next all black coaches, and let's move on. Um, you know, what is Scott Robertson thinking? Is he sitting back? Is he wondering if in fact he has got the job? We're all sitting here. Um, it's all just speculation. It's all just a lot of innuendo at the moment. And look, it's just not a good thing for rugby. It's a terrible thing for rugby. Um, <coughs> and it's just endless. It's absolutely endless. And it's, it's, it's becoming nauseating, actually, the subject, to be perfectly honest. But it continues to get the headlines. Uh, here's a good one for you too, Mark Watson, because I, I know you're a huge fan of the Olympic Games, the athletics within, of course. New Zealand and 33 other nations seek uh, clarification of uh, neutrality, this term neutrality, before allowing Russian and Belarusian athletes back in. Yeah, because, I mean, it's been a bit of a farce, hasn't it? They um, compete under this uh, neutral flag and I think what they call it ROC or something, don't they? I always struggled as a commentator over there trying to work out what it actually all meant. But really it is. It's just It's just another way of allowing Russian athletes to compete and, and the IOC clipping the ticket of their Russian influence, which clearly does exist. I mean, if there wasn't something in it for the IOC, uh, I don't think they'd have any hesitation banning both Russia and Belarus, um, the Belarusians, but there clearly um, must be a few envelopes being passed underneath the table with the IOC that for some reason they still believe it's in the best interest of the Olympics to allow these two nations to compete even though there are a number of nations calling for a bit of a boycott. Uh, but, look, I mean, I do find a lot of it a little bit hypocritical. I've said it before. I mean, you, you can look at America's foreign policy historically. They hide behind Western civilization and justify all of their wars. It's all in the best interest of the United States. Some argue that, hey, Russia are just doing what they believe in the best interest of Russia. You have a look at the human rights issue in China. So where does it all stop? And... Um, you know, it, it's it's much broader, it's a much wider debate. But clearly, those living in Europe at the moment, those in the Eastern Bloc, those in countries like Poland and stuff, see things very much, very differently, perhaps, the way I see things. And so, look, um, yeah, you're either all in or you're all out. I don't think there's room for neutrality. Either Russia's part of it or Russia's not part of it. And there shouldn't be any sort of, um, yeah, there shouldn't be sort of any, um, what's the word, um, um, ambiguity in and around that. Well, it's such a big issue. You're dead right. I mean, it's such a massive issue, in fact, um, Andrew Gordy, that there should not be any ambiguity about it. It should be clear cut. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, and uh, it, look, it, I'm not saying there's an easy answer to this by any means, but I just find it a little bit interesting that New Zealand, you know, New Zealand was one of the nations that signed uh, an international agreement with, with a number of other nations um, essentially refusing to support Russian athletes. And then yet we, we had them come here for, for, for the ASB Classic. So I just don't even really know what, what that means, what that actually stands for. But, I mean, look, I have some sympathy for Russian athletes. I mean, this, this is not a situation that they control, right? This is not, and, and I'm sure for a lot of them, it's not a situation they want. But there has to be a punishment, doesn't there, for, for the way that their nation is behaving. Um, is it fair to take that out on the athletes? I'm not sure, and that's you know that's why this is such a difficult uh, a, d a difficult issue to to settle on on the on what's correct, I suppose. Um, because yes, by by banning 
Russian and Belarusian athletes. It, it, it hurts those those nations, but but it also really hurts the athletes and and is that fear. Um, so yeah, I can kind of see both sides of the coin to be honest. You're going to lose any sleep, Gordon, over Danny Lee going to LIV. Love golf. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I do think it's it's really interesting though, and I'm and I'm glad it's uh, you know on the topics to discuss today. Um, I saw a really good point of view um, raised yesterday, which is that you know people people might be up in arms, and I to be fair, I haven't actually seen a lot of it, but people might be up in arms about Danny Lee. Uh, joining the Live Golf Circuit, but no one was upset about Lydia Ko winning the Saudi Ladies uh, International um, over the weekend, were they? And it's really, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? They're, they're not really that different. And look, if I'm looking at, at it from Danny Lee's point of view, he is exactly the kind of player that Live Golf would be targeting in all of this. You know, Danny Lee is, he's hes a, a professional golfer. He's, a, he's toiling on the PGA Tour. He is not the kind of player that's going to win a Masters, a US Open. He's 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 not going to be in, in the mix for those sorts of titles. Um, and so if he's going to be toiling on, on a tour, it may as well be one where he's going to be earning a whole lot more money. So I can completely understand why he's made the move. But equally, I think at some point, um, he's going to face questions about his decision and he should be prepared for the uh, for answers. Just finally, for you, Mark Watson, I'm just going to read you a scoreline and just uh, get your immediate reaction. Don't, yeah, don't, uh, don't, Ray, don't, 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 don't. Real, Real Madrid 5, Liverpool 2. No, surely not. Yeah, yeah, we were 2-0 up after 14 minutes and we've conceded five goals and we've continued to let goals, don't we? And um, Yeah, I'm just not sure what the answers are. It's just been a disastrous season for Liverpool. Be careful what you wish for. I just think it's the hangover from making all four finals last year and playing every single game and just never fully recovering from it and taking players a season too far that perhaps need to move on and hopefully there's some lessons learned in it. But yeah, I can't imagine um, them being able to find three goals away when they have to play Real Madrid in a couple of weeks. And it's just a good thing that my second favourite team, Spurs, are going okay. Covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yes, and uh, Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, from his uh, new base uh, down south. Um, uh, he possibly could have been going to the Pukekohe races this afternoon if he was still uh, up this way, but uh, he won't be. He might be watching them, which uh, start off at uh, one twenty-five this afternoon. There are 10 races, uh, Louis. Yes, Millie, I could have actually, and I would have had a, a horse to watch, um, but she's been scratched out. We decided to take her to the trials with we. <laughs> Mark Walker decided to take her to the trials yesterday instead, and she actually did trial good, which was nice to see. Um, now, the reason we scratched her, again, we, Mark Walker, scratched her out is because the rail is out seven metres today at Pukekohe, and she had drawn wide. You don't want to draw wide on days like this. You kind of want to be near the pace. Once they can ping off that Pukekohe bend, yeah, it is a long straight, but with the rail out, they are going to be flying off it, and you do want to be in front. That's why I found one which has actually come into barrier one, Toko Ono, in race number seven. Uh, it ran a really nice race in conditions that I don't think probably would have suit the soft conditions for Satono Aladdin. 
um, Philly, uh, going back a month ago, that comes from a very astute stable, Lance O'Sullivan, Andrew Scott. They love sending their horses out on saving their horses for dry tracks. Soft five rated at the moment, but it's fine. So you'd imagine it'll probably touch a four throughout the day. I don't know how hot it is up there, but I think she's a really nice chance. So she can bounce out, get up on the speed. The other favourite is Arby, $2.80. Arby was back, I think, at like a dollar forty at Tarapa last start and came really wide again on the bend. And to be honest, didn't overly impress me that much running on for a dollar forty shot. But that's why you're getting the bigger price. So if you are an Arby fan, you can climb into that two eighty. I'm on Toko Ono at three dollars thirty. That's race seven, number thirteen. And uh, maybe I said it this morning. Rockin' horse this weekend. When are we going to stop? underrating Rockin' Horse and just admit she's got to be favourites for these Group 1 sprints in Australia. Yes, uh, the good horses are coming out to play again. Uh, over the, Look, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, I'm, I'm, I haven't been that convinced with Rockin' Horse. Actually, I, there was a horse uh, trialling yesterday. Um, what, um, a horse that you might like to take a close look at that uh, was nosed out by Ethereal Star. Have a look at the, the horse that ran second by a nose to Ethereal Star. Um, I might know someone that has a bit of a leg of that one, Louis, going forward. So uh, have a look at that. And uh, give, us your, um, give us your considered opinion on that. Uh, we'll, um, speaking of that, we'll get to Pip next uh, out of the TAB with what's on offer today. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Time to uh, catch up with Pip Morris uh, on behalf of the TAB today. There are greyhounds uh, running around in Palmerston North, 12 races beginning just a touch after midday. Um, what about the one for the punters today, uh, Pip? And also, what about some sports betting options today? Well, I really like a couple of Lisa Smithy. Good morning to you at Palmerston North. I'm at Akea in race number two. I just think looks value again at $4.00. And 50 cents off box number eight. And I like big time bruises too, I think, in the next race after that, race number three, off box number two. I've got that really been running my races and a little bit luckless. So are those the two I'm really keen on? And then big time Atlas in the last. On as far as the sports side, kicking off today with the NRL and it is called the Power Predictor and you can multi up your who you think will make the top eight after the regular season, the top four. Finals. So you can check out all the TNCs on the website. But just a really nice incentive. Who do you think can make the top eight? Multiple them all together. Just on that, and Dylan Moran is currently the most popular in the top eight market at 525. It's followed by the Bulldogs. Okay, uh, we're obviously having trouble with uh, Pip's reception there, but uh, check out all those options at uh, TAB um, website, tab.com, uh, and, and you'll come up with uh, all those uh, particular options, including that uh, that multi uh, for the league trying to get into um, the, the last eight. Sounds interesting one, actually, uh, <laughs> the bit that we could hear of, 
uh, from Pip this morning, not uh, getting uh, the best of reception there, but uh, those two greyhounds will be of interest. Uh, let's have a look at uh, a text or two just to take us up to uh, 11 o'clock. Uh, Billy says, A lot of rubbish regarding the selection of coach pre-World Cup. Foster will have done his time, win, lose or draw, definitely time for a change. Isn't it more distracting players talking of leaving after the World Cup? Are you going to get the best out of them, etc.? On cricket uh, front, uh, the Poms will be licking their lips at the prospect of Tickner and Wagner bowling two to three bad balls and over with zero movement. Uh, Doug Bracel is fit, and at least he will bowl length. Duffy uh, and Lister, uh, left arm swing. Uh, it is a bit uh, young and worth giving a chance. We get smashed around again, I'm afraid. Uh, won't uh, two dollars to you won't get two dollars ten on the palms again. That's uh, from Billy. So, mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of agree with that. But um, they are, and we keep saying it day after day. They are so faithful uh, to those uh, players uh, that are in the mix. It's a very hard team uh, to get out of at times. Uh, the Black Caps, and uh, certainly uh, when you consider where we've come from, World Test champions, to the respect and the performance that we have at the moment. It's a long, long drop in a very short space of time. Right, uh, speaking of hopeful, hopeful a better performance from the Black Caps, hopeful a better performance from the Warriors as well. And that's uh, going to be our focus after 11 o'clock when we talk to the one, the only, Kempi. Some people call him uncle and I'm too damn scared to do that. 11 o'clock. On playoffs next month on SENZ or the SENZ app. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, time to focus on some rugby league and uh, the trials are behind us and now we eagerly await the start of the NRL season for 2023. The Warriors playing the Knights Friday, March the 3rd, 8 o'clock. Everyone starts on a clean sheet uh, with uh, the hope of making the top eight by the season's end. That includes our new partners, the One New Zealand Warriors. Now, last night the club got together to celebrate new beginnings with a new head coach, some new weapons in the artillery and a new song. And it sounds like it was a big night. Joining me now to recap on uh, on the function itself is one of our very own who get, uh, he gets uh, invited to all the plush things, including cocktail parties, I understand. Uh, Kempe, good morning to you. Uh, what, what did you dress up for a cocktail party? What do you wear, man? Uh, well, if you can get me in jeans, Smithy, uh, that's probably as, as good as you're going to get it for a cocktail. Um, but it was, it was more... Doing the interviews and stuff like that, I, I was a hot night, and I just made sure I just you know respectable Smithy, but not uh, I didn't have a bow tie on and a, and, a, and a jacket. Put it that way. Okay, fair enough. Well, there are a lot of uh, celebrities there. I understand uh, uh, rubbing shoulders with players and staff. What was the consensus within the room about the makeup of the Warriors this year when you you did your stroll around? Oh, there was actually quite a good vibe, Smithy. Like, um, we got to talk to, a, a, like you said, a lot of celebrities that were there and and a number of first-grade uh, players. There's a, a number of uh, high-end owners from the racing game. DC Ellis was there along with Brendan Lindsay from Cambridge Stud. Um, Butch Castles was up, the CEO from uh, Tarapa Racecourse. So a big racing contingent because uh, Cam George is obviously the chairman of uh, NZTR was the CEO of the Warriors. Uh and Mike King was there with I Am Hope. Uh, uh, Harry Nada uh, was there as well. So I got to talk to all those guys. And, and the main consensus on 
the feeling go leading into the season is that it is actually a new beginning. Uh, it is post-COVID, and first and foremost, what everyone wants to see is our, our team back here at home and, and hopefully winning football games. Right, OK. Um, well, I mentioned in the, uh, the little preview there that they have uh, a, a new song as well, and they've partnered up with Luke Fonga. Tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, so Luke Fonga, uh, he rattled out Ukai Paul, which is a, a, a song of his. He's um, from down in uh, Tarawa, Rotorua, and came up. He ta- told me that he spoke to, to Cam George. He got a phone call asking if he could uh, come up, and they wanted to create, a, I guess, a, a new theme song and roll it out. It was really good. It, they, they got a lot of the old boys involved in the video. Uh, Luke did a live rendition of it, and it's got a real catchy turn to it. Um, Smithy and I was watching the players when Luke was up there singing it because that's really the the, the measure, isn't it? When the players are uh, listening to someone sing and whether or not into that that song, and and of course when Luke started singing it, a number of the boys knew it. They were they were you know jiggling around a little bit, and they give them a rapturous applause at the end of it. So, but a good um, a good feel to the night with Luke rounding off the the introduction of all the players. Uh, I've got to say, I've got to say they look really lean, like up close and personal. Uh, like Francis Smelly said on, on the breakfast show this morning, it was, uh, Izzy in the South, that he couldn't work out who was the front row and, and the back, you know. So uh, they've put some work in over the summer months. That's excellent to hear. Um, and also, of course, if we look at the Breakers franchise, uh, clearly we're seeing the uh, the benefits of being able to play uh, on your home court. Uh, and, of course, uh, the Warriors are going to have uh, that opportunity this time around. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to make it to um, uh, to the finals uh, as the breakers have turned it around so brilliantly, but uh, are we looking at uh, a turnaround in performance generally? I, I think that's the thing people are looking for. Yeah, well, look, I, I think, you know, p- people... It's not our year to win the competition. I think that's maybe a little bit um, too far a grab, but we do want to see an improvement on the on the position from last year and a climb up back up the ladder and hopefully a position within the eight. And I actually spoke to Andrew Webster last night about Modi Moore's run and whether or not he had uh, he had viewed the breakers' um, effort as a benchmark and how they've come very similar. Been in Australia for the three years during COVID, had a really tough time over there, away from home, yet come back into New Zealand and really uh, hit the ground running, got some real early wins, and, and now we see they play in the grand final in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, like, you've always got to learn from, you know, what's happening in your backyard. And he actually sent a message out to wish the, the breakers all the best. He, he is watching them. And, um, you know, he's, he's looking for improvement. That's what he said. He's looking for improvement from the team. Um, the, the off-season was, was very happy. He's happy with the squad. Uh, and I guess the proof, and he, he firm this, Smithy, the proof is now in the pudding when they actually name their, their starting side to go out and play the Knights in round one down in Wellington, and whether or not they can actually go out and compete and get two points. Well, that's an interesting uh, question. Uh, uh, what do you think the mix will be? Because we saw a very uh, convincing performance in week one um, of the pre-season Week 2 um, A little bit of a comeuppance With perhaps Which was Probably a side Initially you would have thought Maybe closer To the one That they're going to line up with uh, Against uh, The Knights So What are you thinking of the mix now After those Two performances 
Well, again, speaking to a number of the players and the coaches last night, they're, they're really not fully settled on the makeup of the starting lineup, and I think their hands got to be forced in a couple of decisions, especially with young Metcalf that played in the first um, game against West Tigers with tomorrow Martin, um, in and around the halves and the look of and the look of what the halves look like. So, the, I guess the, the the team that ran out, the majority of those players will be there. They picked themselves, you know. I thought Marcelo Montoya played well. Adam Fanua Blake, Tori Harris, you know, those guys are going to be there. The new guys. Um, Barnett and Nakori will be there. Um, Martin done enough in the first game. Uh, Sean Johnson didn't have the best of trial matches, but you you would tend to um, forgive him of that effort, knowing what he has done in the past when you're going into the into the first round. So, what I got from Andrew when I spoke to him last night, though, that was different from every other coach I've spoken. And I I spoke to their manager last night. This is his seventh coach since he um, started there in 2012, and what I got from Andrew and, and confirmed by Dan Floyd, the manager, is that Andrew Webster has got to hold players accountable. So I think if you don't see certain players, whether they're marquee players or not, fronting up from round one, by the time they revisit the Newcastle Knights at their home ground in round six, which is six, six weeks of football, we could, base, we could possibly see some major changes happen inside if they're not winning. Okay, right. Uh, one of the other things that happened last night was uh, the announcement of uh, the ambassadors they've brought on board, including Monty, Monty Beetham, uh, Kevin Campion, Owen Gutenbeel, and uh, Wairangi Kupu. Um, so uh, with names like that associated more closely with the club, um, that it's only got to be good, surely. Well, it's a, it, I think it's a, a masterstroke, um, honestly. Honestly, you know, if you have a look at what Full Gould's doing in Canterbury, he's brought back similar boys, you know, Mark Mealy, um, uh, Willie Mason, Sonny Bill Williams, Willie Tonga, uh, just just to name a few, just to to be around the players and 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 give them some positive feedback. And I spoke to Monty about it last night, and he said, you know, like we've been given sort of a free reign to talk to the boys and to be honest with them. And and knowing Monty, he's he's had that couple of conversations with the group. Um, but I think having Wairangi Kōpū in there from a cultural perspective too is really announcing that the club is respect, being respectful and wanting to actually understand um, and people to understand that this team, which is full of Pacific Islanders and Māoris, uh, first and foremost have their own cultural significance before they run out onto the football field. But from Cam George's perspective, so that's a, you know, being Australian and, and, and actually buying into that and putting that position in place, I think he needs to he needs deserves a, to be um, get a pat on the back for. And I like that you've got old boys around there. They were all tough, I've got to say that. Campo none 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 other tougher than Campo. And to have those old boys walking around there rubbing shoulders, knowing what it takes to get to the top, I can only see that being a good thing. Uh, last night the new Warriors and the group were presented with their Pornamu uh, what is the significance of that tradition uh, with the team, Kempi? Well, it's basically when you're presented with a a ponamu, and the Kiwis do the same thing. They do they do that every time you have a new cap, and when you come into camp, um, and it's basically just joining the circle and and welcoming you into the to the Warriors family, and and it becomes an official uh, ceremony. So. 
Uh, a lot of teams do it. The boys were wearing them proudly last night when they were walking around. Uh, it's something that you do treasure, Smithy, because you do feel once you do have that around um, your body, you, you, you feel like you're part of the team because they've all got one. And I just, you know, I get that feeling last night that what Andrew Webster is trying to build is a, um, or should I rebuild, is a team that really wants to play football um, for all the right reasons and, and first and foremost for the One Warriors. So it's not a place to come and retire. It's not a place to, you know, come and sit back. He's really, um, I guess, a, a benchmark himself and a measure measure on the type of performance that he wants. And I get this feeling from him that he'll just keep getting the best out of players not performing, then he'll replace them with players that will perform for him. So I'm really looking for I'm really looking for the kickoff uh, in Wellington against the Newcastle Knights, my old team. I, I personally think they'll get that one, um, but then I've got a hard, I've got a hard six weeks. That I've got Cronulla, Sydney City Roosters, uh, to name a, to name a couple. Um, but they get the Knights twice, and they, they should pick up two wins there. I feel. Have you been able to run a microscope uh, over the top of uh, the Knights as uh, they head into Game One? To, what you've made of their build up, their changes for the season? Well, yeah, look, I think their forward pack, when you look at the Safidi brothers, um, you know, you've got, you've got size and, and experience in their forward pack. Uh, they're still, you know, managing their hooking position. And then you, you look at what they've done with Caelan Ponger and moved them up to six with Jackson, Jackson Hastings. Oh, look, I don't, I don't see Caelan Ponger as being a success at number six. Uh, he should be utilised more in the fullback position like James Tedesco. He did James Tedesco, you know, uh, and, and Caelan Ponga, uh, the two best fullbacks in the country, playing New South Wales and Queensland, Oregon. So to move Caelan Ponga up to six is a, is a real risky move by Aidan O'Brien. But Aidan O'Brien himself is under immense pressure to hold down his position. So if it doesn't work this time round, uh, I, I can see a mid-season sacking and, and the Newcastle coach probably going in one of the early favourites to, to, to be sacked. And, and unfortunately for him... He just doesn't have the depth uh, of player in that side that can win him big games. So, you know, you've seen that in the trial matches. You've seen that last year. Uh, Kalen, the question around Kalen is, because of his head knocks, does he stay on the football field? And does Newcastle get the best out of him in the number six jersey? If they don't, then no Kalen Ponga. I think they've got no chance. Last night, apparently, you labelled uh, Marcello Montoya the angriest man at the Warriors, so you're predicting a big year for him. <laughs> oh, look, I like him. I do, Smithy. I, I like his energy. He, he had a little bit of a laugh, and he said, look, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the angriest man. I'd say I have the most energy. And with him and Dylan um, Zalesniak, uh, Watini Zalesniak on the wing, you've got these, these two robust wingers with so much energy that they draw from the outside in. We actually need our forwards to be doing that, driving it from the middle out, and those boys using that energy to finish off and, and score tries. But um, I had a really good chat to him. He talked about you know his, his mentor and the player that he likes to watch being Brett Morris. And we know Brett Morris's career through St. George and Canterbury and, and Sydney City and, and winning grants playing from New South Wales, Australia. He was modelled his game on the great Brett Morris. But he it was just a good chat, you know, like he talked about what it meant for him to be here at the club, uh, hold down a position first almost, but 
he talked about just you know being that person that drives drives the energy within the team. And I've got to say, he's a lot bigger than I thought. Like when you see him on telly, he you know I thought oh he's not the, the biggest of wingers. He's he's bloody tough. Um, but next to him, he'd be six foot one, and he's he'd be racking up to oh, 98 kilos, I reckon. So he's not he's, he he is quite a quite a solid player. And of course, you know. Um, you need those players, Smithy. You need those players that jump out of their skin and the energy. And mm. for me, I think him and uh, Dallin are, are two keys this year to do that for the Warriors side. That sounds good, uh, Kempi. Sounds like it was a, a terrific night last night. Um, this afternoon, of course, uh, here on SENZ uh, at 3 o'clock, it's running it straight with uh, yourself and uh, Sammy Hewitt. What have you got in store today? Yeah, we'll be talking a lot about the... Uh, we're going to break down the start to preview the the teams through the, the next couple of weeks over um, where we think they'll finish and what the teams look like, their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, it should be good. Sam's got uh, his list up and I've got my list up and we'll just see how close we come to picking, uh, I guess, the top eight and the bottom eight. All good, uh, Kempe. Uh, we'll look forward to that this afternoon. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, nice to hear po- such positive things, such positive things coming po- out of the camp. Cheers, man. Thank you. Tony Kemp there, of course, uh, breakfast show with Izzy every morning between 6 and 9 and uh, doing a bit of overtime for us, which we're very grateful with, uh, for. It's 11.18 here on uh, SCNZ. Uh, we shall be back shortly. It's desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. And the sports desk, as usual, is occupied by Logan Swinkles uh, this morning. Uh, Logan, what's on the agenda? Uh, well, first, just to reiterate uh, something that came through in the last hour that people may have missed, uh, ANZ New Zealand will partner with New Zealand Cricket to present a special fundraising cricket match to raise money for the New Zealand Red Cross Disaster Fund, which comes off the back of the uh, horrible uh, disruption and devastation that's been caused by Cyclone Gabriel. The fundraising match will be the Black Caps v Sri Lanka in an ODI at Eden Park on Saturday the 25th of March and ANZ will be pledging $1 million at the match and are encouraging the public to donate further on the day and NZC will also be donating all ticket proceeds and assist with other game day fundraising activations as they look to do anything that they can uh, to help get involved and help with the cleanup. And one cool thing that I've seen, Smithy, uh, as you can imagine, the Central uh, District Stags have been affected by this and a lot of them, including Blair Tickner, Got stuck in to help with the cleanup. I think it's just That's really brilliant. Yeah, I think it's just really cool yeah. taking their time away from the game to just help out the locals. Well, he has a cafe, Blair Tickner, um, and uh, as part of his uh, operation, he has a cafe at the uh, Hastings uh, or Hawks Bay Sports Centre, which is on the outskirts of Hastings. Um, and um, he, not only has he um, been involved in uh, some of the physical work himself, but he's also donated a lot from uh, the cafe in terms of people that have been. Um, requiring you know nourishment etc people that have put the the hard yards in um, and he has uh, been supporting there so a terrific uh, gesture from Blair Tickner but also uh, the Black Caps a lot of who uh, are based around the Hawke's Bay area to be perfectly honest Logan yeah there is a lot of them there and actually yeah, I remember you uh, talking about Blair Tickner that cafe is actually I haven't been to it yet but it is around the corner uh, from my in-laws so 
definitely mm. need to check it out next time and go uh, support Blair's business. But you were wondering uh, when I mentioned a couple of days ago that the New Zealand ice ferns are in South Africa like the white ferns and they went along to the white ferns to support them. Uh, in one of their matches and then afterwards they all got together had a nice little photo and everything got to meet them and you were like oh it'd be nice if the white ferns reciprocated and did the same thing well you know what Smithy they did they went along to that oh. first game and <laughs> witnessed that absolute sh- uh, shellacking that they gave Croatia oh that's fantastic absolutely fantastic and it's some lovely uh, bonding there between a, couple, a long way from home too uh, both those teams a long long way from home uh, and let's hope it goes better for uh, the, the women's hockey players because the women's cricketers uh, were knocked out this morning which is uh, not good news yeah uh, yeah, that would be nice and then on to the golf side of things Smithy at the sports desk we always like to have a little bit of green uh, on the links Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy have broken ground for the site of their golf league uh, which of course is a, what they're trying to do to combat live golf and create their own team environment and create like a stadium golf atmosphere. Uh, as they're calling it, TGL. They are the two co-founders of TMRW, as in Tomorrow Sports. And that, uh, I believe it's in Palm Beach Gardens in Florida. So you imagine uh, how amazing that would be when it happens. But as far as uh, tomorrow goes, when it will happen, is going to be in 2024, I believe. So still a little far away. But 11 players have committed to the league Alongside Woods and McElroy, you have John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Adam Scott, Colin Murakara, Matt Fitzpatrick, Max Homer, Billy Horschel, Justin Rose, and Xander Chaffel. So you, that is just alone. The names that they're trying to bring in and combat live golf with their own brand of entertainment that is being supported by the PGA Tour. I'm really excited to see what comes of this. That's quality information, that actually, and it's good for two reasons for people that like the traditional side of it. One, I mean, who's going to say no um, to Tiger and Rory anyway? Tiger rings up, you're going to go, aren't you? You want to be part of that. that. Two, once you commit to establishment like uh, these guys have done, as you just said, they're not going to go anywhere, are they? They've Mm. made a commitment there to traditional golf, so uh, I see that as a, a real positive on a, a number of a number of counts, big names, yeah. really big names. So you're probably wondering, okay, they're going to create the stadium. What? How is it all going to work? Well, the concept is this: that it will be six teams of three PGA Tour players that will square off in match play on a data-driven virtual course that also includes a short game complex uh, complex for chipping and putting. So with the amount of data being involved there, I imagine it'll be quite interesting to watch actually. A lot of graphics, a lot of numbers, a lot of things for uh, stat, stat geeks like Matt Fitzpatrick to really get behind. So had, when, you, when you're talking you describe it that way, they're not physically out on a golf course as such? I'm honestly, I'm not sure. When they say virtual, it might be a bit like when you go to a Rimuera Golf Club and it's all ball tracking. It'd be very mm. interesting to see what it looks like when it comes together. Okay, oh, I, I kind of envisage they actually be on a golf course, but that's that's a different take on it. Uh, and I can see in the modern way of uh, doing things in the modern um, uh, around gaming, etc., how that could absolutely take off, absolutely take off into a new market. Brilliant. Yeah, uh, really looking forward to that. And, of course, players, to keep with the uh, entertainment aspect, they will be mic'd up 
and fans won't have to guess what their thought processes are on certain shots because I guess they'll be providing the commentary themselves. So you got 11 of the best players in the world and you're getting that kind of access, I think it'll be quite a spectacle. I like the idea of that. I also like the idea of perhaps speeding it up a wee bit, speeding up because just noticing a lot of golf of late, um, I think the pace of play has slowed down. Uh, I, I really do. I, I, I look at uh, some of that and the, the work they do with their caddies and the analysis, et cetera. They've, they've got green reading books. They've got all sorts of tools these days. Uh, and when you're, you're actually using up a lot of time, uh, Rory McIlroy is the best example of see it, hit it, see ball, hit ball. Um, uh, a lot of the others, though, are see ball, uh, confirm it's my ball, <laughs> uh, just have a look at my ball, uh, and then I'll have a look at which way we're going, how far we've got to go, what club I should think. Uh, no, maybe how far was that again? Uh, do you think I've got the right club? And it just, you know, there's a lot of that. It seems to be a lot of that going on. Yeah, how uh, much do you I'm trust pretty, your caddy? <laughs> yeah, how much do you trust your caddy? 10% of everything you earn. That's how much you trust them, mate. Okay, right. Uh, speaking of uh, financial rewards, uh, are we uh, at 100 or 50? Did we win yesterday or not? We're, We're at 100, 100. aren't we? Okay, cool. 100 bucks, folks. 0800 1508811. 0800-1508811. $100 up for grabs this morning. Uh, if you can uh, possibly uh, answer three questions, particularly the third one, which is vitally important. Um, but uh, yeah, Stump Smithy is uh, coming up after the news here with Aroha. Vodafone has one awesome summer of sport lined up for you. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, and thanks to a last ball stumping uh, yesterday's edition of Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith here on SCNZ Mornings has jacked it up to a $100 TAB bonus bet, Smithy. I love it when you do that, mate. I really, really do. And it's just been lighting up the phone lines. It is insane. It's incredible how um, it's taken off, this, uh, particularly uh, in the new year, um, this particular concept. I mean, uh, 50 bucks is 50 bucks, and uh, it could be 100 or it could be 150, but um, people just absolutely love the, that, uh, the concept. And they, they, as you say, the, the line's just absolutely like a Christmas tree. They light up. So uh, this morning, it's pretty hard to get through. Uh, this morning, uh, Brian has uh, been able to uh, separate. Um, who's the first? Who's the first uh, lucky punter today? Oh, Brian is a hard taskmaster on those phones, I will tell you that. True soldier, first at the crease, Jason from Auckland. Come in, mate. Hey, yeah, how's it going? Yeah, good, Jason. Um, really good. Uh, how's your day going, all right? Yeah, not bad so far. Just a couple of little work things going on, but pretty sunshiny and cruisy other than that. Uh, it's good to hear that the, the weather's good, mate. Nice and cruisy. Um, Ticking of uh, cruisy, what are the subjects today then, Logan? Well, firstly, that's what I love to hear, Jason, because I come into the building at 6.30 in the morning and it is still dark. I don't know what it's actually like outside in Auckland unless I hear from people like you. So that, that's lovely to hear that. Your topics today, though, are cricket, basketball and rugby. Super rugby, to be exact. Take your pick. Uh, let's go with basketball. Yeah, nice one. Sport very close to my heart. Let's go. We'll see. Uh, Tall Blacks are back in action this week, Friday and Monday. So I'm looking forward to that. First question for you, though, Jason. When was the last time 
the New Zealand Breakers won the ANBL championship? Uh, that was a long time ago. Um, uh, shall we go 2016? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, yeah, that capped four titles in five years, Smithy. What a run it was for that team. Perhaps this is a yeah, new one. I think they're going to start the new run very shortly, so um, I'm very, very confident against the, the Sydney Kings. But, uh, OK, 1-0. 1-0 Jason. All right, second question for you, Jason. Which NBA city, if you struggle with city, I may take state, which NBA city played host to the recent NBA All-Star Weekend? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Uh, okay. Um, let's uh, let's uh, talk uh, a little bit about uh, well, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. Ah, uh, was it Milwaukee? Because Giannis's team knocked over LeBron's team. I see that. Uh, was it there? Uh, maybe it wasn't. Uh, I'll go. I'll go wait. I'll go. I'll go. Portland. Portland. One of the go. worst things oh, I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> Sorry, Smithy. Yeah, cool. no, not Portland. Not on. Not on the west coast. Just a little bit further inland. Salt Lake City, Utah was the answer I was looking for. Okay, fair enough. Salt Lake City. Yeah. Okay, right. So Jason's uh, favourite here. Favourite here to take the hundy. He is. Also, edit, I just found it so bizarre. You'll, you'll have to look into this as to why Carl Malone was being trudged out as a celebrity judge, considering his past. Anyway, last question for you, Jason. It's another NBA one. If LeBron is the NBA's all-time leading scorer and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is second, where does Michael Jordan sit on that list? Uh, is he in... Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Wow, just smash me for six. I thought that was going to trip you up, to be fair. <laughs> I thought Where'd it was tricky enough, from? but I, 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 I saw it when all that hoopla with the LeBron going past it and saw a list, and I knew he was sort of fourth or fifth, so just a guess, I guess, around there, educated guess. Who's third and fourth? Would you have any idea who third and fourth is? Uh... Third is Carl Malone. Fourth, the late great Kobe Bryant. Right. Okay. Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, well, well done, Jason. Three, uh, two out of three, Thank and you. the Thank third one was good enough for you to take the bucky. So, stay on the line. Uh, Brian will just confirm he's got uh, all your details, and have a terrific uh, rest of um, this particular Wednesday. Well done. Congrats. Cheers, Cheers Okay. Right. Um, uh, interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't. I probably would have said fourth. I, I was thinking no way it's third because that's too easy. Yeah. Uh, so with all the, I like how Jason said all this hoopla around <laughs> LeBron. Um, when he was breaking the all-time scoring record, I sort of canvassed uh, my friends in LA. What do they think of him? What do they think of LeBron? To be fair, they don't actually think that highly of him. And perhaps they might not think of him even more so after this really cool city and they're doing some great things in sports these days 
Obviously, you see what the Aces are doing. You know, you got the Raiders there. Uh, you got the Kings there, the, the hockey team. You got, you know, they're doing a lot of great things down there. So, um, you know, we, we, we'll see what happens um, and uh, go from there. I think it's the Kings. It's not the Kings, is it? The who? The Golden Knights, yes. Yeah. Kings is in L.A., right? Yeah. Or the Kings. Oh, it's two Kings in L.A. Got it. Two Kings in L.A., apparently, Smithy. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. The fact that he couldn't even name the team that his team shares a building with, and which, by the way, has more championships. (laughs) Banners. Yeah. Nah. So he was was labelling himself as the other king, yeah? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, LeBron, you're an absolute cracker. Uh, Beauty. And you can play basketball. There's no doubt about that. Hey, hey, listen, uh, there's a couple of uh, important things, uh, Logan, that um, you reminded me that I should read out, and that, of course, is uh, around the Cyclone update. Um, And uh, we'll do that now. Uh, Emergency messages pertaining to what you should not do, particularly around uh, flood water, because uh, flood waters may be full of sewage, chemicals and other hazardous uh, materials and should be avoided as much as possible. Uh, Flood water can carry bacteria that contaminate food. Protect yourself when cleaning up flood water and mud by wearing a properly fitted P2 or N95 rated mask, goggles, gloves, long pants, long sleeve shirt and uh, gum boots or work shoes so don't expose any skin. Throw away all food and drinking water that has come into contact with flood water. Do not eat garden produce if the soil has been flooded. In power outages, use torches instead of candles and only use camp cookers and barbecues outdoors. Uh, Conserve water where you are advised to. Check the location of pipes and cables before you dig. See Chorus Before You Dig website and beforeyoudig.co.nz for all utilities. Uh, The best way to assist in the response is through financial donations and not through donated goods. Uh, Keep up to date with advice from your local CDEM group or from civildefence.government.nz. Now on that subject, of course, um, Andy Thompson uh, has his Rural Roundup show. We'll catch up with Andy very shortly and he'll be able to update us on the rural impact of uh, Cyclone Gabriel around the country and it has been absolutely significant. There's no doubt about that. Andy shortly. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, being a Wednesday, of course, we have Rural Roundup today and that's on all frequencies except for Auckland and Wellington and that uh, show starts at 12 o'clock, goes through to 1pm, hosted by Andy Thompson, of course, who joins us now and uh, Andy... Uh, See, just when you think uh, you might be recovering from something, something else happens. Uh, The last six or seven days, particularly where I live in Hawke's Bay, has been devastating, but other parts of the North Island as well and would have significant impact on the rural side of the economy. Absolutely, Smithy. Um, we don't even understand yet how how bad it is going to be. I mean, some of those foot, some of that footage coming out of your area there uh, in the X Valley, the horticulture, the fruit, you know, the fruit bowl of, of New Zealand, as we know, in that wonderful province that you live in, and that damage with those orchards, those vi- vineyards, <coughs> excuse me, mate, um, is just absolutely devastating. Now, a flood on a farm, on a dairy farm, say. You, the water will drain away. Yes, you'll have some, uh, you'll have some stock, uh, some fence damage and and that sort of thing. But you'll be able to fix that up. 
I don't know where you start with an orchard, you know, and, and that devastation there. We've got a metre and a half to two metres of silt, those trees, those vineyards ripped out of the ground. So, yeah, this is a very, very, very long-term project um, to get those areas back in. You might have a better idea just how widespread it is through the Hawke's Bay. I'm hearing stories that 70% of the apples are unaffected and will be able to get um, harvested, mm. so that's great to hear. Um, as we know, the media tends to focus on the on the worst bits, and you kind of get this picture that the whole region's devastated, but we know that's not the case, but that doesn't under, you know, underline the damage done to those small areas, or to those areas, not small areas, but those areas, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, but boy, there's a clean-up. Yeah, well, it's not it's not just uh, you know, the fact that some orchards uh, have remained intact and largely untouched, but uh, of course the winds were such a high velocity, Andy, uh, that a lot of the fruit ended up on the ground anyway prematurely and uh, obviously is useless now. So uh, there's that to consider as well. So uh, what, have you, what have you got on your, your show today, mate? Look, um, I've got a few things. We're obviously talking about this. So I'm going to talk to Sarah Stewart-Black, known as Norm. Now, she is the Secretary-General of New Zealand Red Cross, and I've been picking up on some of the Facebook pages, Smithy. Um, people really anti-donating money to some of these relief organisations, being told that um, a large amount of that money is going to go into admin. I asked Sarah about that, how much or what percentage of the disaster relief money will go into admin? The answer, and I'll give you a sneak preview, zero. All of the money donated to the Red Cross, 100% of it goes to where it needs to go. They will take a hit in their own admin costs, and I'm sure it's the same with a lot of... I, I can't speak for all of the other relief agencies, mm -hmm. but I know with Red Cross that is absolutely the case. So I want to try and put that to bed. Some of the comments from people, and also... The other thing, um, and I know you've been asked, to, I've been, Logan said to me, you've been asked to go into the um, the EOC in Hastings, uh, go and have a visit. They'd love to see a celebrity like you in there, Smithy. They did a really want, you know, really, really cheer them up if you rocked in there. But you'd see the hard-working effort, you know. And one of this Facebook posts on New Zealand farmers, which is one of the biggest Facebook farming-led, it's got 250-odd thousand, said these people are just sitting around drinking cups of tea and coffee, actually really pissed me off, really made me mad. And I want to try and put that right that these people are working hard they're not sitting around drinking cups of coffee they're working long long hours um, for the benefit of the community you need to coordinate relief efforts so I've got that on Sarah uh, we're going to talk to Karen Williams uh, she's from FMG as we know insurance she's the rural propositions manager basically a stakeholder engagement community we know insurance is going to be absolutely massive in this so talk to her about that and then we're going to get into Gisborne Stephen Thompson is a Bailey's um, agent up there but he's one of the founders of Surfing for farmers and he's been intimately involved in what's happened in the Gisborne region so we're going to get an on the ground uh, response from him and then Sam Owen from the Waikato as part of the Rural Support Trust in the Waikato I was talking to him you know we're talking about as we're talking about these areas that have been damaged Smithy there's other areas like the Wairapa like in the back of the Waikato that has had significant damage as well um, so it's not just trying to put a focus not just on the Hawke's Bay because we know that that is you know mm. really severe talk about these other areas that do need support you know and there's some really cool stuff happening with support coming in from farmlands and PGG and those sort of guys you know farmers are going in there they've got these things set up and we're going to going to try and talk about this where you know if you go in and buy something go and buy 100 meters of netting as well pay for that on your account and then that goes into a um that'll go into like a pool and then when someone needs netting come in oh it's been paid for just take it you know so there's some cool stuff happening a very resilient bunch uh, generally speaking the farming fraternity as well Andy and there has been uh, news coming through of uh, people um, from as far away as uh, down your region donating plant um, 
machinery stock uh, or, or feed, etc. It's, it's, it's been good. Yeah, Simon Easton actually from Tasman, and I put this on the Rural News today. Um, they grow apple, they grow apples in Mochuaca. Actually, he's a distant cousin of mine, Simon. Uh, they've sent up a digger. They're sending up bobcats uh, because they've had support from Hawke's Bay when they've had uh, cyclone feet, uh, Gita, Gita. They've also had hailstorms. You know what goes around comes around, Smithy. You know that in life. Um, you support someone, they'll support you. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, Andy, look forward to your show. You've got about uh, eight minutes to, to get ready, so I'll let you go and uh, we'll come back and have a chat uh, to staff about his show as well very shortly.